the gun. Denver rushes three. Flacco steps up. Throws deep. Far sideline. Jacoby Jones has it at the 20. Jacoby Jones. Touchdown. Ravens. No flags on the play. And the miracle is answered. That highlight is right out of home team radio broadcast 101, I think. Yeah. That was great. Uh, wow. Worst safety play you've ever seen in your life? I think so. I, I, I feel bad for that guy because at least it wasn't the Super Bowl or something. I mean, there was a lot of, there's a lot of question marks about whether who would have won the Super Bowl or whatever, but holy cow. It's bad that I knew right away I was saying, why didn't he turn his hips and run? And then later I'm watching the highlights on NFL Network and Deion Sanders during the highlights going, turn your hips, brother, turn your hips, brother. <laughs> it's like I should not know the technique he, like that. It was just so obvious. That- he's backpedaling and jumps up in the air for that and then is like, oh, crap, that ball's still 10 feet over Yeah, <laughs> It wasn't close. Wow. Uh, welcome to the Sportscasters Proper Season 3, Episode 8. It is January 15th. 2013, just getting out of a little bit of an Indian summer, and I hate the heat here in Buffalo. Yeah, for a couple days. A couple days there. Um, we have a good show lined up for you today. Will Leach, the founder of Deadspin, now writes for SportsOnEarth.com and is a contributing editor at New York Magazine, is on the show today. Uh, really just to talk sports, just kind of... I don't know if anyone has gotten a chance to read Will's articles on Sports on Earth, but they're very much representative of what a column might look like if they just gave it to a fan to write. Right. He basically writes from the perspective of being a fan about whatever thing it is he wants to write about that week. And I think where he comes from, he's probably most known for being the guy that was on the Bob Costas special and, uh, you know, being argued with by whatever newspaper guy it was. I can't remember who jumped all over him and said that, the internet was mean and <laughs> ruining newspapers. I, I forget who the newspaper yeah, guy on that panel was, but uh, Will's going to join us, and we're looking forward to talking to him. It's something we've been working on for a while, getting Will on the podcast, and uh, he spends a good half hour with us, so I think you'll really enjoy that. It kind of reminded me of the second half of the second SL Price interview we did, where Mr. Price and I just started kind of breaking down the pros and cons of Twitter and it kind of got away from being an interview and kind of more just us talking. Right. I kind of felt like this whole interview is kind of like that. So I'm excited for people who've listened to the show for a long time to hear that interview. And also, we have a much lesser known uh, guy than Mr. Leach on the show for our second interview. And his name is Ken Schott. Uh, he works for the Daily Gazette, which is in the capital region of New York. And basically, he's one of the only... Um, beat writers in college hockey and he covers college hockey really closely and I thought it'd be fun before we get really NHL focus which we plan to do with the next episode the one in between uh, the Super Bowl and what we normally do for the Super Bowl show is talking a lot of NHL hockey um, so before we do that I thought maybe we can talk a little bit of NCAA hockey which will then probably go away in terms of this show until we maybe pick back up on it Frozen around four. tournament yeah. time. 
because um, that's kind of where it fits in here. But I wanted to uh, at least talk about it uh, with kind of a little bit before uh, we kind of shift our focus to the NHL and the NBA and the NCAA basketball, which will probably make up a bulk of the next bunch of shows, I would guess. Yeah. As football kind of phases out and we focus mostly football on the Football Nation show. Right. Um, also, we have a great book club update, which I can't wait to give you. <laughs> we have a new book club, Book of the Month, and a final update on Jeremy Roenick, who is going into a very exclusive Sportscasters club Yes, uh, today. Um, also, we're going to look back at how we did on picking the four divisional games. Ugh. And um, we'll get things. Oh, first, uh, I want to mention thank you to Greg Wyshynski, the Puck Daddy, and our boy Lee Jenkins for being on. Season 3, Episode 7, the first show of 2013 for the Sportscasters proper, which you can find at www.sports-casters.com. And also you can find it on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And also you can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. And I'm sure I haven't said this yet. My name is Steve Bennett, the host, and Don Ross is the co-host. Yes. We, yes. Hate to, we hate to mention ourselves. That, yeah, we're the worst self-promoters. But uh, we were talking off the air a little bit. Check out that last one because that's we blame hockey because we didn't really have an off season in hockey, but uh, we didn't really do a full on preview episode. So the Wyshynski interview is basically our unofficial yeah it, preview we, to we the season. We want to do a lot of hockey on next week's show, but right. there might be something in the works that might derail half of that. Right, and there already have been a few games and stuff, but right, there'll be more hockey at least. We coming. we are. I don't want to jinx it on the show, but I, I did mention it on Twitter. There is a rumor that a very popular character from the world of recent pop culture will be <laughs> on the show next week. We'll see if it happens, but I, th- I, th- I think it will, but we'll see. Fingers crossed. All right, we can get started with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever. (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right, for our first thing today, Don and I are going to kind of do what we've been doing the last couple weeks, and we're going to kind of touch on the football. We're going to share it. We're going to look back a little bit and look ahead a little bit. But we're going to go much more in-depth into the football on the football show, right. uh, which, of course, you can find at www.footballnation.com by clicking on podcast, or maybe it will be in the news scroll if you're listening in the beginning of the week. Uh, you can also find that podcast on iTunes um, and podomatic.com. You can listen as well right. over there. Um, and our guest this week uh, on that show is Mark Bradley, longtime sports writer for the Atlanta Journal and Constitution who's going to somewhat set us straight on our unwillingness to accept Atlanta. And I guess we can start (laughs) there a little bit. Uh, Atlanta kind of did what Atlanta has done all year, and that is uh, not look that great at times. And then seemingly when all was lost, Matt Ryan pulled a rabbit out of his hat. Yeah, they look great to start that game. It kind of looked a little bit like the, what was a week two or three Denver game they played where they came out on fire minus all the interceptions. I mean, this was Matt Ryan uh, in the beginning of this game, just moving the ball at will. They took a real quick uh, 
twenty nothing lead. I mean, it's twenty nothing at the half. I shouldn't say it was. And real it looked quick, like but... Seattle wasn't quite ready for the game in a way. You know, maybe it's that West East thing. Yeah, maybe. It took them a while to get firing, and they totally botched the end of the second quarter there, coming away with nothing. Right. Yep. After the sack, and then they score early in the third quarter, but Atlanta answers. Yep. And at twenty seven seven, it looked over, but then Matt Ryan did the one that one throw. You know that oh no throw that kind of floated up there and Earl Thomas picked it off I believe it was Earl Thomas and the Seahawks were in business and ended up taking a lead with 30 seconds left and then two passes later Atlanta called a timeout and kicked the next kicked the field goal to win the game and then almost ruined it with a really bizarre onside squib kick that went wrong or something yeah I don't know if they mishit that or what but they sure left Seattle with some outs there so Atlanta will host the NFC Championship game against a really impressive 49ers team, a team that I didn't think would beat Green Bay, but they did, and it really wasn't that close. Uh, it's a 45-31 final that I never, after the pick six and Kaepernick settled in in the beginning, I kind of felt like the 49ers were in control of that game for most of it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go into our picks later on today, but boy, I would have been... I would have done a poor job if I was picking these games straight up. We went with the logic for a lot of the games that just Aaron Rodgers would will them to a win. They might not have the better roster top to bottom, but that wasn't the case They cut Aaron Rodgers off the field. I mean, the, yeah. the time of the possession in this game, which evened out a little bit in garbage time, was still 38 minutes to 21 minutes, roughly. Right. So... Or thirty thirty eight oh one to twenty one fifty nine. So really thirty eight to twenty two. I mean, they kept Aaron Rodgers off the field. I seen Aaron Rodgers with a towel around his neck for a long time, long stretches of the game. Uh, the Forty ers were especially good in the second quarter, uh, getting that lead. I think on the field goal at the buzzer and going into the half, which they played really well outside of the pick six. I think was big for them. And then they controlled the ball in the second half, and Colin Kaepernick played a great game. I mean. More rushing yards by a quarterback in a single game than in any NFL game ever. 181 yards rushing. That's the most in any NFL game, playoff or not, for a quarterback. We're done with fantasy, but real quick, what do you think of Kaepernick slash Michael Crabtree next year? I think that they definitely are moving up quickly. Yeah. But I think that quarterback is so loaded. He's still Kaepernick still might be a He's fourth or fifth a- round guy. Well, he'd have to be a backup somewhere, probably. There's got to be... I mean, in a 10-team league, there's got to still be 10 guys better than him, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess probably. it's close. Would you rather have him or Russell Wilson? Maybe Kaepernick? Yeah, I don't it's know. pretty close. Same close. guy, kind of. I'd probably rather have Newton, just because sure. of oh, yeah. experience. For sure, you know? yeah. Uh, and I'd probably rather have RG3 if we're kind of lumping all these kind of read option quarterbacks in. Right. It'll be interesting to see how these quarterbacks who utilize the read option so well do... After defenses have Start a whole offseason right. to kind of plan against it. It'll be interesting to see how uh, the quarterbacks adjust. Then in the AFC, I mean, the Ravens and the Broncos got us started with a really great game. One of the better playoff games I've seen in a long time. Yeah, in general, we talked about how the first week was boring, but this week was much, much more entertaining. Yeah, and we talked about the horrible safety play that basically sunk Denver. Yep. And then the Peyton Manning special in overtime. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was. It reminded me so much of the Tracy Porter interception on Brett Favre in the NFC right, Championship right. game, 
where the quarterback is rolling to his right and throws back across his body to the middle of the field in a play he didn't have to make. And he put his defense in a position where they could only give up one first down, and the game was over. Now that said... Um, it's just a huge, huge mistake from a quarterback who should know better. I don't remember the name of the guy that wrote the article. I believe it's on Grantland. So if you just search for Grantland... So that could and maybe be Bill Bidwell. Poor coaching or something, but normal. Mike Show tweeted it out right a few days after all these games. Terrible coaching by uh, John Fox. What is he doing with Peyton Manning with timeouts? Twice. Twice. 37 seconds and a half with three timeouts, and 30 seconds at the end of the game with two timeouts. Unbelievable. I I don't get that at all. You're playing at home for an overtime where you might never see the ball. I know the rules are a little bit different now, and that's probably what is going to make coaches more chicken now because they feel they've at least got a better shot at getting the ball But your defense has been getting killed on big plays all day. Yep. And it's only going to take one of those big plays to sink you. They were getting killed on kickoffs. Or no, I'm, Baltimore was getting killed on the yep. kickoffs. But uh, yeah, yeah Trenton Holiday had a very exciting day with the two returns. Yeah, the other guy that had a uh, who was the guy, was the New England game that someone kept almost breaking him. But or yeah, the Houston return man yep. had two or three of them that he almost broke and got caught. And really, that in that game was what sunk them right off the bat. They had that huge kick return. I don't remember how far it was, and they came away with a three and out that went like four yards. And you yeah, got was, a, Danny Manning had a four yeah, returns yeah. for 216 yards, including a 94 yarder. Right, I think that was the first one, the 94 yarder. So I think they count that from where he catches it in the end zone. So I don't remember where the drive started, but the drive went four yards. Right, basically, was, and you got to score on New England, and Houston couldn't, and it was really never close. They scored two TDs. It was thirty-eight to thirteen, basically at the start of the fourth, fourth right. quarter. So you never really. It, it's the game we saw coming, I guess. Yeah, that was the easiest one I think to predict. New England did what exactly what I thought New England would do to Houston. Yeah, but really a good weekend of uh, football. Uh, hopefully this weekend will follow suit and we'll have an exciting Super Bowl to look forward. And to. And nobody has uh, done as good of a job on JJ Watt as New England has twice now. Yeah. In two games against New England, J.J. Watt has half a sack. They showed the uh, racquetball rackets that they practice with. The defensive ends held up like tennis rackets, basically. To so simulated. that leads us to Championship Sunday. You know, two, two teams are going to go to the Super Bowl, and we'll talk about the specific games uh, during pick four. But I guess my question for you, Don, about this, and I'll probably ask you this on the other show, is what is your ideal Super Bowl right now with the teams that are left? Uh, from entertainment value, I guess I got to go Patriots 49ers. Kind of the classic or the perennial good team against the upstart, young, hard-hitting, And we saw that game and it was great a month right, ago. Right, right. I mean, we saw even with the 49ers getting as far ahead as they did, we've seen the Patriots come back on them and it was a Really exciting game. It was one that hopefully you didn't turn off, that kind of game. If you're the NFL, you want the Patriots in this, right? More than the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, the Ray Lewis angle is there, but I think the overall package of the Patriots. uh, I saw Richard Deitch tweeted today that the Nance and Sims combination and the team that they have that works together, Mm -hmm. this is going to be their 62nd Patriots game. Wow. 
So that's 62 times that the number one team on CBS has called a Patriots game. So I think that there's no doubt with the Super Bowl being on CBS that they wouldn't mind a 63rd shot at the Patriots. Now, if you're getting behind a team, who do you get behind here and why? Well, I don't get behind Atlanta. I well, mean, right. some people might, but that's not going to happen for me. Right, right. Um, I do have a friend who's a big 49ers fan. Oh, that's right, yeah. So uh, maybe that pulls me towards them a little bit. I'm not a big fan of Harbaugh. Um, could have an all-Harbaugh Super Bowl. Could have an all-Harbaugh Super Bowl, just like last year. <laughs> yeah. Both of these teams were in the NFC Championship game last year, yep. or their respective championship games. Um, I can't see myself getting behind the Ravens. Uh I guess I wouldn't. It wouldn't kill me to see the Patriots win another one, so they can at least be able to say it wasn't just about Spygate, right? You know, because I don't think it was about that anyway. So maybe for them, I. Yeah, I've mentioned enough times on this. I, I'm never going to be a Patriots fan as a Bills fan, but I'm beyond the hatred for the Patriots because that's they're how just, I was the Bills with the are 49ers too bad. Niners in the '90s, the Bills are too bad. You know, that's how I was with the 49ers in the late '80s and, and early '90s. They were way better than the Saints, and even though they beat us every time, and even when our team was really good, it seemed like they were a little bit better. And you you come to respect that in a yeah. way. You know what I mean? And I think there's a lot of Bills fans probably who are bitter that it was the, pa- the Patriots and not them, but I think there's some respect to be had for the Patriots and the way that they've done this over as long of a period of time. Yeah, we can kind of throw another teaser out there. One of my things on the next show is kind of a question posed to you about these, this Patriots team. So, all right, so let's move on. And obviously for more of the same, you can go to footballnation.com or iTunes and the sportscasters football nation podcast. Yeah. And we'll probably hit on each individual. Yeah. We'll focus a little more. Yep. All right. My second thing this week uh, Lance Armstrong is kind of the big story in, in his apology to Oprah. Yeah, Oprah. Oprah's still around? Apparently, she's going to do it on her own network. That? Yeah, she's got it on her network. What channel is that? I, o? <laughs> I don't know. Her magazine was called O, right? <laughs> I mean, I know the station is called OWN, right? But oh, like, it's OWN? Okay. But I mean, Oprah Winfrey Network? Yeah, but what channel is that? No uh, idea. I, I don't know. No, I, I don't even know what they show on there. I know leading up to her final season, my, my wife's a big Oprah follower and like leading up to the final season they would do apra or after oprah winfrey live which oh, was right. like a behind the scenes right. look at the taping it's so like, maybe we have to talk to mrs caster and find out where we can yeah. find the lance armstrong interview but anyway lance armstrong uh is looking worse and worse in all this but he, he's sorry he apparently is going to come out to apologize to oprah the timing is a little bit questionable and i guess some people have theorized that that might be because a certain statute of limitations has come up oh. about basically perjuring yourself and ah. lying under oath. And I don't, I don't know how to feel about this. On the one hand, he did something really, really good, and that's bring about the Livestrong Foundation and give hope to people with cancer. And all that stuff is positive. I don't think you could take that away from him. And hopefully the foundation continues to do well and continues to be a positive influence in people's lives and people that maybe are struggling with cancer. But man, this guy, the more you hear about him, the more it turns out he sounds like a jerk. Uh, he took others to court that basically said that he, Oh, I remember seeing him take drugs. I remember seeing him do this. I administered this. I helped bring the drugs over the border, like a masseuse. And the more you hear about it, the more he sounds like a bully. He would, threaten people he'd wreck their livelihoods he 
uh, one guy, Greg LeMond, was attached to uh, Trek Cycles. And Greg LeMond spoke out against he's him. A, he's a former three-time Tour de France, Tour de France champion. Right. Yeah, He said, quote, if Lance's story is true, it's the greatest comeback in the history of sport. If it's not, it's the greatest fraud. And upon hearing that, basically... Armstrong used his pull with Trek bikes to drop LeMond's brand from the company. Oh, cool. Costing this guy millions of dollars. So this guy not only lied, and that's one thing. You've got guys like Roger Clemens who lied under oath. And I'm, I'm just picking on Clemens. There's a lot of baseball players that lied under oath about steroid use. But none of them went after other people and wrecked their lives. And that's why Lance Armstrong, I I, I don't accept your apology. Uh, I don't want to see you back in cycling. I hope your foundation does well without you, but too little, too late. And I think his wife that he had when he wasn't famous doesn't forgive him either because didn't he kind of drop an unfamous wife to date and slash marry Cheryl Crow <laughs> once he got famous? Yeah, who has since dropped him or he dropped either. No. So, he just comes off as a big jerk. Yes. Goodbye, Lance. Yeah, take it easy. I probably won't see you on the own network because I don't know what channel that is. And I don't really. I'm not interested. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. yeah. All right. My number two thing is uh, last week, Major League Baseball announced nothing in terms of the <laughs> Hall of Fame for the eighth time in the history of the Hall of Fame and only the second time in like 70 years or something. The Major League Baseball Hall of Fame came back with no players receiving the 75% of the votes on the ballot. This was been brewing for a long time. This was going to be the year that. The two big names from the steroid era came to the ballot being Bonds and Clemens. How was that going to be handled? Obviously, both of them, if they had retired before the steroid era, would have walked into the Hall of Fame as first ballot Hall of Famers. Unfortunately, they didn't, um, and they continued their careers under the suspicion and, in some cases, proof of steroid use. And basically, they got... A kick in the pants from everyone who votes for this kind of thing, as Bonds and Clemens both received only about 30-some percent of the vote, which is well short of the 75% they're going to need to get in. So now there's a lot of people who, one, may have said, you know what, I'll vote for Bonds and Clemens, but not the first year. So we'll see. I think next year is going to be the big indication how high they jump. How many of the voters are just holding out one year as a punishment? And how many voters are like our friend Tom Verducci, who said that he will never vote for anyone from who the steroid era? is a known steroid yeah. or suspected steroid user? All right. It's no secret that uh, I'm not a big baseball guy, so I'm going to ask some embarrassing questions here. Pete Rose is not in the Hall of Fame, right? He is not, and he's never appeared on the ballot. Okay. Now, do you think they Pete Rose these guys, basically? I mean, Pete Rose was never even accused of... Gambling perf- against his team. Right. He was never accused of anything that he may have affected his performance. Right. These guys are accused of things that directly affect performance, but it's suspected... I, I shouldn't say suspected. It's kind of thought of that, well, everyone was doing it. Are they really going to keep out... 20 years or however many years of baseball players well, from the no, Hall of Fame? because, I mean, already the big talk is about how excited everyone is for next year when Greg Maddox might be the first unanimous Hall of Fame 
you know, first person to go in as a unanimous Hall of Famer. Was getting, he ever suspected of steroids? Never suspected. I mean, he's like, I think if you threw out, let's say someone said to you, here's three names that would crush a baseball fan if they found out they were steroid users. It'd probably be Maddox, Jeter, and Griffey. Right. I think those are the guys that the baseball fans put above the steroid era and say these were the guys we know did it right. Wasn't Andy Pettit kind of thought about that maybe though too? And well, he, he was kind of a surprise. Andy Pettit went down and then Andy Pettit came back, came, and admitted, and you know kind of went the Jason Giambi route. And well, I mean that's a stink off him, but I mean I don't know. I right, mean, Jeter would be shocking, but that was what. I believe Skip Bayless brought up, right? Because Jeter had that monster year following a real down year. Do people think about steroids? And pe- people might have been pissed about that because Jeter's kind of beloved, but that's a fair question to ask. But Not- also, I mean, with all the Yankees that have gone down and seemingly so much focus on the Mitchell Report on the Yankees, right, right. It's it'd be surprising at yeah, this not, point to find out about. I'm Jeter. not trying to necessarily bring that back up, but I mean it. That era is the type of era where it's like... You have to suspect everyone to some degree. Right. It's tough to look at a guy like Greg Maddox and think that he was ever a steroid user. I you, mean, he never threw right, the ball no, over 85. And, right, he was a location guy. But do you, when these voters think about these guys, are they doing investigate? Like, are they going to I, former players? I, mean, I don't like, know. That's the strange thing about it. We're going to talk with Will Leach more about it, and he has a lot of opinions about the whole thing. And My question is, I mean, the Hall of Fame is for the fans, right? Kind of. Um, and yeah, I know it's supposed to be exclusive, and there's been some talk that Hall of Famers, living Hall of Famers, would boycott the Hall of Fame if known steroid users were entering it, but... I mean, they get to keep the World Series championships that they won in those years, right? I mean, yeah, nobody's and nobody's taking the home run records right. away from Barry Bonds. I mean, some people are walking around pretending they don't with, exist with an but, asterisk or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think the moments are the moments, and that's something that Will and I talk about, and you'll hear that in a few minutes. Is that you know, just because the bounty scandal broke doesn't mean I think any less of the moment that Tracy Porter intercepted right. Peyton Manning. And I don't think that Will, who's a big Cardinals fan, thinks any less of Mark McGuire's home run to break uh, the record in 1998. Hank Aaron? No, not Hank Aaron, but um, Roger Maris's. Oh, Maris, single right, single season, season right, right. I don't think he thinks any less of that because of you know something with, with steroids. I mean, the moments are the moments, but... Yeah, it's a tough spot, and it's baseball's fault. And it's a long way up for Bonds and Clements. All right, my last thing real quick here. Uh, I'm going to brag a little bit about our hometown. People in Buffalo can be a little defensive about their city. It's a it's a tight place, and we end up on a lot of negative lists sometimes about depressing and weather and whatever else. Even but, though the weather's not bad here? No, it's not horrible. Suggly. But uh, I got to say, I think I think I can say unequivocally that there is not a better, better hockey town in the United States of America, maybe Canada has probably a bunch of places that can make the argument, but the Sabres uh, had a scrimmage, meaning basically a nighttime practice where they played themselves, and they had 10,000 people in attendance at this. and With very little notice. Right. Obviously. Right. I mean, the CBA wasn't ratified until Sunday, so, so real... it's not something that's been planned for very long. And I'm going to add on to that and say that I talk tough about – how much I hated the lockout and I did hate the lockout and I wish somebody could suffer for it. But now that hockey's back, I can't wait. 
It reminds yeah. me a little bit of like if you're really aggravated at a video game, you want to punch like the video game character, but it wouldn't do anything. Uh, that's how it is with the hockey lockout. I was pissed about it. I was mad at the players. I was mad at the owners. But now that it's back, I couldn't be more excited. I think you know, as a se- and another thing to toot Buffalo's horn, single season tickets or single game ticket seats went on sale. There's only eighteen thousand left for the season. You can only get single seats in the lower 100 level and 200 level of the arena at this point. So basically, the Sabres have already sold out the year, uh, which is pretty incredible. Um, but you know what? This it, isn't the city that you were going to make no. the case that the lockout hurt the NHL. It's yeah, I guess just, we'll see how it does in Florida. Yeah, I mean, those are the cities, I guess, where they're going to have to worry. Or maybe a city like Boston where the Celtics are another option. In the winter, I mean, Buffalo people want to love yeah. the Sabres. And when the Sabres are good, there's no other city that gets behind a hockey team like we do in the United States, yeah. I don't think. Thousands of people in a I plaza mean, to watch hockey games. Pittsburgh is great. Um, Minnesota. You know, Detroit is great. Minnesota's called the state of hockey. And we're not going to take anything away from the support that the teams in Canada get. Right. But, I mean, if you look at the Maple Leafs, they're a real stiff team, real corporate. You know, they don't. It's maybe not the same feel, although I know that city would go crazy if they were good sure, again. Sure, sure. You know, but, um, you know, we're glad to have it back. And I think the one thing you can do and still be excited about being it being back and maybe is what Wyshynski said. Just don't buy any NHL merchandise this year. Right. You can still go to games and still watch the games every year. and uh, But merchandise is something that is a revenue stream for the owners. And that's a spot where you can hurt them. For me, hockey is about... And you can still enjoy the games. Hockey fans, it's almost like being in a club. Like Hockey fans know it's not a big game, and to some extent, I think that is what makes it a little bit popular. It's what makes hockey fans die hard. But for me, it's about the event. Like Sunday, I'm going to try to find a place where I'll have friends hanging out or something like that and get together because there's a reason to watch hockey again. And that's it. It's about... uh, It really... People say it's not about the name on the back of the jersey. It's about the team on the front. In hockey, it really is that way. They could have dressed scab players, and I wouldn't have been pumped about it, but hockey would have been back, and that would have been a big deal to me. So I'm glad it's back. My last thing, and I do agree, I am glad it's back, and no one has taken a hard – well, maybe someone, but I was as hard of as hard of some – you know, I was the hardest out there against just saying stay away, don't come back. Right, but right. whatever, they're back, so what am I going to do? Yeah. I'm going to go and I'm going to cheer. I'm glad that I'm not going to be there on Sunday, though. I Part of me, I can't go on Sunday. I'm, I'm going to Yale to watch my brother play that weekend, and we would have never made it back for a 1230 game. And part of me is glad that I don't have to be a part of that first group that's going to inevitably stand and cheer for these guys the second yeah, they come yeah. on the ice. That would just feel really phony to me. Yeah. So I'm, I'll be glad to be at the fourth game and the fifth game or however it worked out that we split them. That will be an interesting scene in other buildings. Like you said, like this isn't the place because no. our our fans are gonna come out and be excited. It's back, but it'll it, be an interesting scene that first that first night in all in all the other arenas. You know, when they announce the starting lineup on Sunday and they get to goalie and they announce Ryan Miller, it's gonna be a huge pop. Yep. You know what I mean? I imagine they'll announce the whole team that day. Gregorenko, if he's in the lineup, you know, and Lindy Ruff, who's a god here, is gonna get a huge, huge response. Although Gregorenko, you can't. I mean, we're getting off on a tangent here. We can't yeah, blame yeah. him. He's a rookie. let's get back on track. My third thing uh, is just congratulations to the Louisville Cardinals, uh, college basketball team. 
Uh, Duke and Michigan lost this weekend, who were the one number one and number two team in the AP Top 25. So Louisville, for just a second time in school history, are on top. The other time was the final poll in the 2008-09 season, and they reached the final eight of the NCAA tournament. Uh, Louisville is 15-1, and is one of five teams to re- re- receive first place votes this week. Um, and uh, Rick Pitino... Uh, is the coach there who some people like and some people don't. <laughs> uh, but it will be interesting uh, to see uh, how the college basketball season ends up because there's a lot of uh, big-name teams and big-name programs and guys like uh, Hardaway Jr. who plays for Michigan on a very ra- highly-ranked Michigan team. Um, you know, and Arizona's back, uh, number um uh, at number then number four, uh, and Wyoming. I mean, there's all kinds of like just interesting teams kind of in the mix. Uh, so we'll see about college basketball as we get closer. And I'm sure Luke Wynn will be here soon to tell yeah. me who's good and who's not, so I can pick my bracket when it comes time. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're going to take a break and come back with an interview I'm really excited about, the founder of Deadspin and current writer on SportsCenterNet.com, Will Leach. Our first guest today is from Mattoon, Illinois, and is a graduate of the University of Illinois. He was the founding editor of Deadspin.com, which he launched in 2005, and is currently a contributing writer for SportsOnEarth.com, and also serves as a contributing editor for New York Magazine and a regular contributor to GQ, The Wall Street Journal, and Sporting News. He's making his first appearance on the podcast today. It is an honor to have Will Leach join us on the Sportscasters. How are you doing today, Mr. Leach? Uh, you know, if you're going to start me off with the Illinois fight song, uh, you're going to put me in a pretty good mood. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. Um, I don't know, just one day it kind of caught my eye on the shelf. You know, we're really into books and have an active book club here. And one day I was just looking around and uh, saw your book, God Save the Fan, and just kind of interested me, didn't know a lot about Deadspin at the time, and really enjoyed the book. And uh, I think by the time I had finished it, you had been uh, done it at Deadspin, and we, we did talk to uh, uh, Jason, right, is who uh, took over for you there. Am I getting that right? Uh, I think it was, it was AJ. It was AJ, AJ, AJ yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. We talked to him. And then um, kind of we kind of got back to you on Sports on Earth, and we really like Sports on Earth because – well, first of all, we're big Joe Piznanski fans. He was actually nice enough to come on our sixth show when we were nobody and we're struggling to get people, and he really gave us some credibility. So anything he does, we put ourselves behind, and we've become really close with uh, Tommy Tomlinson and had a relationship with Alex Belf and uh, love Mike Tanier, who's one of the newer people that we've been able to reach out to thanks to Sports on Earth. And I guess you're just another example of that. And I think what I love about what you've done on Sports on Earth is anytime I read anything you write there, it just feels like something that is going through a fan's mind. It just kind of seems like they've given you the freedom to write about what you want to write about as a fan. And I've really enjoyed that. 
Yeah, you know, one of the fun things about doing that column, you know, the sports, it's funny because back before it was Sports on Earth, back when it was just, you know, I had actually talked to uh, Din Mann, who works at Major League Baseball. Uh, he used to work at the Kansas City Star. He used to be uh, Joe Posnanski's editor, actually, at the uh, Kansas City Star. And uh, and uh, on a, to a lesser extent, Jason Whitlock's, back when Jason Whitlock was edited. Right. And, <laughs> um, but but uh, uh, he had, you know, they they'd, Major League Baseball had been wanting to do something like that for a while, for a long time. Like it's funny, there were people that were saying that like Sports on Earth is some sort of Grantland knockoff, but they, they'd been talking about this long before Grantland had ever been discussed. And I talked with him about it, but you know, uh, then they kind of moved around. I you know I have my own job, you know, my own stuff going on, so I kind of waited for them to kind of figure out what they were going to do. And next thing you know, they'd hired um, Stephen Madden to run the site, and he had brought in Joe Pazanski, and I was like, okay, well. You guys obviously don't need me anymore. Right. <laughs> you guys, you guys have Mazansky. I, you don't need me much. And uh, but they, but, but they, they said they still want me to write for them. And so we had some discussions about it. And you know, I can't out columnist uh, Joe Pazansky, and I can't, uh, you know, I can't. Uh, I, 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 I didn't think it would be much of use for me to be a general interest writer over there. They already had so many good ones. So we kind of were talking for a while. We. You know, we talked about the idea of doing like a me- they-, they wanted to do like a media column, you know, like like Richard right. Deitch does for Sports yeah. Illustrated, or Richard's and I and and then Richard, you know, Richard's a good reporter and a good yep. guy, but I really didn't have a lot of interest in writing a column like that because I don't really care. <laughs> like, like I feel like a lot of like media stuff, uh, media columns, it really is just people people in one office talking to people in the other office, and and uh, oh, he, uh, look look who's look who's taking this job. It turns it like you know, it turns a column into like a trade publication. You know, I used right. to. Back before that, when I covered uh, 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 the financial services industry for a trade publication, not well, by the way, and so I, I didn't have a lot of interest in doing that. But I was like, listen, why don't we just try to do something like a consumerist column, like writing it from the perspective of the people that consume this, the people that you know that pay for everything, and uh, that's all. As you can, as you know from God Save the Fan, that's something that I've always had a lot of interest in. So it's been a lot of fun to be able to to go for it from that perspective. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but it's certainly an interesting kind of fun. Uh, uh, column idea to do. Uh, uh, I have a lot of fun with it. I certainly, and I, and I you know, I, again, I like what Richard Deitch does, but I, I just don't care about, you know, who who is move, who's moving from this executive place at Fox to this executive place at ESPN. I don't care about that. And I don't think fans care about that, but I do think they care about, uh, you know, cable deals and 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 you know this web product and that sort of thing. So it's a fun thing for me to write about because I, I care about those things too. Yeah, I, I like the way. You just bounce around. I mean, probably my favorite column that you've written on SportsCenter so far is one where you just wrote about being with your people, your Cardinals fans in the bar in New York. And, you know, I feel like you're doing a really good job of bringing the readers kind of... Sometimes some writers... You mentioned Jason Whitlock. Maybe he's a great example of this. Sometimes writers kind of elevate themselves above the readers and want the readers to come up. And it feels like you've kind of come back and you're... God save the fan. It feels like you've put yourself in one with the fan. I, I think that's what I've liked about the column so far. Well, thank you. But you know, it's it's funny. One of the weird things I've never quite understood about you know working in media, particularly sports media, particularly definitely sports media, is particularly bad about this. I have no idea why any media person would ever possibly think they were above a fan or anyone from any other profession. This is not that hard of a profession to get into. Journalism is not that hard of a degree to get. <laughs> like, it's really strange. You know, it's weird. You saw this a lot. I, I certainly dealt with this a lot. Uh, I graduated with journalism to the University of Illinois, and, and I saw this a lot during the Deadspin days. You know, I, I hadn't really known since I started doing Deadspin that there really was, you know, one of the reasons that Deadspin started was to try to get past that disconnect 
between the fan and the media in a lot of ways. It, it felt like there was this gap. I didn't really understand why. And it wasn't really until I started working at Deadspin and dealing with people in sports media that I started to understand, oh, wait, they really think they know more than you do. <laughs> it was a really right. kind of like surprising thing. Now, don't get me wrong. Like a beat reporter, like a guy who's, 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 you know, who's, who's in there every day, and going in and doing the legwork and doing you know what we consider the, what journalists do. Those guys are, and, and and women are going to have a lot of better ideas on stuff. But the notion that just because someone has a journalism degree or works for this newspaper or this or this magazine or this, or this television uh, station, the fact that they would just inherently just by some sort of dean of magic or degree would know more than fans has always struck me as baffling. <laughs> and 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 so certainly I. I I, to me, I wouldn't know how to do that anyway. So I never claim to be any sort of expert. I don't think anyone should claim to be any sort of expert. You know, we should be writing about the people that pay for all of this and the people that make it all happen. So for me, I never really... Certainly, I'm a writer, and every writer has an ego. So, like the idea that uh, that uh, I, I that's not important to me. You know, I mean, I put my name on everything. Certainly, I like getting recognition, like like any writer does. But the notion that I would somehow believe that that I know more than anyone else does it's something weird for sports in a lot of ways. Sports, for some reason, when you when you write about sports for a living. Your people, your people just start thinking that you know more, and you don't. And and I think that leads to a lot of the in the if you'll pardon the phrase, the inside baseball. You get in a lot of sports coverage, and that's not really something I have a lot of interest in. Well, you know, it's been interesting since we've done this show and decided to take the angle of presenting a show that focuses on the sports casters and the people who cover the sports. It's not. It doesn't take us very long to figure out who the guys are with the biggest egos and who the guys are with the smallest egos. Yeah, I feel like you can tell when you see them on television too. <laughs> like, you really kind of can, you know. It's funny. I, I'm not gonna. I won't. I won't get into specific details. But I will say that, like the not all of them, but the majority of people that I've met that have spent most of their career on television, they're really weird. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. To you. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It doesn't mean there's there's they're like they're they're worse than anyone else. It's just that. You know, I think just like maybe being on television and having to be on and having people looking looking at you and and people using you in advertising and having your sh- the show, I think it, it just can't help but change you in a lot of ways. And, and, and I think it, and not change you into like a bad person, but maybe keep you away from the way that normal people live in a lot of ways. And it makes it difficult to understand and kind of relate. You know, if you remember. You know, I was, I was, I don't know, everybody always knows this, but I was on the, the Bob Costa show uh, a yeah. few years back when I was still the Deadspin. Yep. And the strange thing about it, I actually hated that show. I was, I, I, I think it ruined discourse and it turned two sides that should have not been on opposite sides. It polarized them for a long period of time and I've actually never watched it. But, <laughs> but, but before the show, you know, I met with Costa and it was very strange. It was, it was very, he, one of the things he talked about was he had a really hard time understanding where all these mean people came from. All these mere, mean internet people came from. He, like he said, people used to you used to not hear things like this. All of a sudden, people are mean all the time. I'm like, no, man, people are just like they've always been. You can just hear them now. And, right. and I think that it's a hard time to people kind of get in a bubble of uh, of television, and and that red light goes on. And you know, I've done some TV stuff for you before, and I still do it occasionally. I have to admit, I'm not that great at it. <laughs> I talk too fast. I get going really, really quickly. I. Uh, my my brain goes faster than my than my than my mouth uh, can, even though my mouth really tries. And so, but I I don't know if I want to get that good at it. It's probably the best way to put it. You know, I think that once you get good at it, you, it, it might make you a little different. I I prefer I I always I come across best in writing, and I, I I'm probably going to stick to it that way. Well, you know, 
kind of to, to get to something with a little bit of substance, I, I know you wrote a little bit about Hall of Fame voting, and I, I, Joe Piznanski is probably the expert on who belongs in the Hall of Fame and who doesn't, and we can leave that to him. I don't necessarily want to debate whether Jack Morris or Craig Biggio got screwed as much as do you think that the path that the voters took this year represents how the fans of baseball feel about the Hall of Fame? Uh, no, <laughs> on either side. You know, one of the things that was, was like the combine for Sports on Earth was about the idea that that you know basically the way people are discussing Hall of Fame voting is the way they're discussing the debt ceiling, you know, or, right. or any of the hundreds of polarizing issues in the, in the world of sports. It's that people aren't, you know, when you saw people discuss it, they weren't debating Jack Morris, they weren't debating Craig Biggio, they weren't debating Barry Bonds. They were debating their dogma against your dogma. They were debating that there was there's there's no middle ground. There was this you are, it's not enough anymore to disagree with someone. You have to let them know that their ideas are invalid or and or they're intellectually dishonest. And and you saw that to the highest extent in the Hall of Fame battle. I have to say I'm so glad it's over. We can actually talk about baseball again. <laughs> and, right. and that's really a shame because Hall of Fame voting has always been one of the fun parts. Right. You know, it's always been this nice little thing in the winter when you get about a month before spring training gets going and just kind of this fun talk about old players that's been enjoyable. And now you just have people yelling at each other. You, you, have, you have old school reporters claiming that you can't figure this stuff out from stats. And you have, uh, and you have, you know, you have sabermetric people, which I will confess, like intellectually, I, I tend to side more with them, at least on the facts uh, situations. So you, know, you see, you see them saying that you know, you're just you're just these old guys wanting to keep on to your vote. Times pass you by, and no one's talking about the players. <laughs> They're all just yelling at each other, you know. And and that's that's frankly kind of the way politics works, and that's why people get away from politics because that's why that's why people enjoy sports because it has nothing to do with politics. So certainly, the Hall of Fame voting this year was, you know, we all knew this year was coming. We all knew that this was going to be a big steroid year and a big crowded ballot year, and uh, I hoped that. Uh, I ha- I hoped that perhaps everyone would be able to figure out. Not so, it wasn't so much that no one was elected, though. I it's pretty tough to argue that there shouldn't shouldn't have been at least someone on there. As much as it was just the way the discourse came together, and it just it became a sort of thing. That as a sports fan who loves the Hall of Fame voting, you just wanted to stay away from it. It was right. like watching people yelling each other on the Senate floor, and it wasn't particularly enjoyable. You know, when we first started, and uh, Sports Illustrated was one of our first ins, and. You know, we've gotten to a point where I, you know, I don't have to. I can deal with the Sports Illustrated people directly. And the P, the one thing the PR guy told me at Sports Illustrated was, the only guy you're never going to get is Tom Verducci. And all that made me do is want to get Tom Verducci. And he's been on the show two times since, and has been very kind to us. And um, watching him, you know, talk on Major League Baseball Network during the Hall of Fame thing, I I just I felt a real disconnect that I didn't feel in the other times talking uh, to Mr. Verducci on the show. You know, it just when we were talking about baseball, it felt like we were it was like it was more like this, what we're doing. But when I was watching him on the show and I, and he was talking about the, the cheating and the morals of the cheating and voting for the Hall of Fame and how he'll never vote for a known steroid user, it the distance just felt to grow and it just seemed like you know, maybe next year we can have a little bit more fun with this again and talk about things like will Greg Maddox be the first unanimous Hall of Famer and him getting to go in with, you know, his Braves teammate, both with 300 wins and Tom Glavin and, and talk about Frank Thomas, who doesn't have this cloud behind him and has 500 home runs. So maybe next year we'll get back to a little bit more of the fun that you talked about. 
Yeah, I wouldn't hold your breath on that one, <laughs> to be honest. And I think that, I hope so, certainly I hope so. But, uh, you know, first off, just from my own viewpoint, I don't know why we get to all just assume that Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin and Frank Thomas and Jeff Kitt and all these guys somehow don't have this cloud over them. Like, they have as much of this cloud over them as Mike Piazza does, and we seem to not let him in. You know, I think that, but that's that's more my personal viewpoint on this type of stuff. So I will say when it comes to Verducci, I don't know Verducci personally, but, you know, I certainly know a lot. Uh, I know John Heyman, and I know Ken Rosenthal, and those are all really good baseball reporters and pretty reasonable people. Yeah. But when you put them on television, they feel like they need to have a stance. They need to have, like, a viewpoint. It has to be strong. Uh, television is about being simple and clear and direct, and you lose complexity. <laughs> you lose any nuance in these things. It's one of the reasons that, like, that has become really frustrating is that, like, sure, like, listen, Ken Rosenthal does not actually think the serumetricians are from the Tea Party, <laughs> which is the thing that he, he said on the day of the Hall of Fame. He doesn't actually think that he's a reasonable person. He's not a bad, like, he, he, he's, a, he's a normal human being walking around this planet but when you get on television the camera's on yet you have to say something you have to say something if you don't say something then you don't and you don't you know, move the needle if you don't get something something going you're there's no use for you there and and, and to be honest like, you know, you look at a guy like Verducci, like, Verducci's an excellent baseball reporter and has, you know, sort of kind of made his medal in a lot of ways, made his brand in a lot of ways with, like, the Kin Caminetti story and some of the old steroid stories. And that's great, you know, and he, he's earned, he's earned the, the, his chops on that regard. But, come on, I mean, really, is that a reasonable, is that a reasonable nuanced thing, just blanket say, I'm not going to vote for anyone that has any sort of, thing with, uh, of steroid thing, the way that, baseball discussion is going the way that the notion of how how we're going to consider PEDs over the next uh, 10 or 15 years. I, I wrote in God Save the Fan that like in 25 years, people are going to look back at Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds and be like, wait, they were using those crude things with needles and pills? That's crazy. We just, we just upload home run hitting into our brain. <laughs> I mean, the notion that to make these blanket statements like that is the type of thing you do when you're on television. It's the type of thing you, you do when you become a personality and you have to like make a name and you have to to do that, and, and I, you see more and more of a lot of very nuanced writers that saw the complexity of things going on television, and that kind of just gets lost. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that you said that in your mind, well, I'm, I'm going to make an assumption just on base of what you said, that Maddox and Glavin fit in with Piazza. Do you kind of look at the whole steroid era as one thing? Are there a few guys that you kind of hold close and say, look at, I know these guys were clean, and if I ever found out otherwise, it would crush me? Maybe like the no, I mean, community I don't enjoy baseball like I did when I was nine. I feel like one of the major problems that people have when they write or talk about baseball, they, all, they act as if they don't, baseball doesn't take place in the real world. They act as if baseball is something that has to, that you, basically your emotional interaction and maturity about baseball stops when you're nine, when these guys are heroes, they're great, they can't lie to me, I will feel betrayed. They're grown men doing a job just like you are. <laughs> And, you know, I think that, 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 no, of course not. There's no, there's no one that I would, oh, if, if it turned out that Jeter Juice, who's to know, know what anybody did? For crying out loud, we're still stuck with this dumb notion that, that, that these, 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 these drugs make you strong and make you hit homers. Well, most of the people that were busted for stories were actually pitchers, and a lot of them weren't even strikeout pitchers. Look, I feel like the way we discuss this is with a sledgehammer. <laughs> we're just, we just throw down, and this guy is, but we have no facts on any of these things. So much of this stuff is guesswork. Even the rare, tiny facts that we have came from illegal means, came from, you know, they came from field testimony, came from, from tests that were supposed to be, that were legally binding to be anonymous. So I think that, that us trying to kind of come in and say, this guy's good, this guy's not good, this guy's good, this guy's not good, I'm so betrayed by this person. I, I feel like that's not... 
the way adults think. <laughs> that's the way that that's not the way that like grown people who understand the complexities of life and that these things that strange things happen in the real world people do things and you're not nine <laughs> it's not filled the dreams this is a profession worth millions and millions of dollars something that we all in fact profit off ourselves so yeah i i will say that i i do think that people that have the i well if he did i would lose my faith in baseball need to grow up frankly <laughs> to be entirely honest this is this is not a little child's game this is a profession with millions and millions of dollars on the line and pretending otherwise is is, is sticking your head in the sand and trying to be idealistic just for the sake of publicity. Well, I'm going to try to poke at your inner nine-year-old a little bit, or at least some of the romance that I know that you do have as a huge St. Louis Cardinals fan, and ask you to take me back to the 1998 season and what you experienced with Mark McGuire as a Cardinal in the home run chase, and if anything you learned before has changed your opinion about that season at all. You know, so I wrote a piece for the uh, for the New York Times, a uh, column about this, and 2006 or seven. basically it was about the idea that, you know, when McGuire hit that home run, you know, uh, people forget that, like, one of the things that was really exciting about that was that his kid was there. Yeah. Like, people, like, th- that's the thing that people always forget about that. Like, people act as if, like, like what people resp- were responding to were, was, oh, wow, he's broke this record. One of the major things people responded to was, it was great. Like, it felt like McGuire was a good guy. And not yep. a good guy in that he didn't cheat or didn't use drugs. But, like, this was a guy that hugged his child. <laughs> this, like, I called my dad after that game. And it was a really great moment for us. That's, that's a moment that happened. That's a moment that, that, that like, it, it's like when people try to take the wins away after a team, uh, you know, after, after an NCAA team is thought to have, it's thought to have cheated or something, or you know when they when they've used an eligible player, as if like you can actually erase history like that. That you can linearly go back and say, oh no, that didn't happen. That's wrong. Of course, that moment was great, and that moment still happened, and I loved it, and it was a great moment with my father. For me to be like, oh, well, it turns out he was taking a drug to help him heal from workouts later, easier, and he he uh, he he was able to uh, get over some injuries that he had because he'd been taking this pill that was actually not actually banned by baseball at all. And, right. and or any of those things for me to go back and be like oh well now that memory means nothing to me is to look at it as if i am a child to be entirely honest like the, the like that moment the thing that's key about baseball the thing that's key about sports it's not really about the athletes like we don't we don't deal with these athletes like as fans we don't interact with these guys if we knew them we probably wouldn't like them they wouldn't like us like there, there's no actual what matters is our interaction with those who care about what we care about. With what we take from the sports is what matters from the sports, not what, like, I don't know Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire could be the greatest guy in the world. He could be a monster. I have no idea. All I do know is that Mark McGuire was a St. Louis Cardinal and hit this home run that meant a lot to me and to my family. And what happened 15 years after that is beside the point. That moment happened is something that I bonded over. That's what sports is about. Sports is not about this, like, puritanical idea that everything that you know that, that it's 1896 and we're all bringing the world's greatest athletes so all to find out who is the best in the heptathlon like we don't actually care about these things what what matters is the context of which we experience them so i think that so I, I so regardless of the fact that like you know i personally don't really care about this stuff that much i also feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of people that wrote about that game that profited from that game and profited from the boom of baseball in that time. They are now trying to all kind of shame and tiss tiss their way about it. It seems to be uh, trying to pretend that baseball doesn't work the way, the way that the rest of the world works. You know, it's so interesting listening to you say that because even though I was born and raised in Buffalo, New York, from the time I was seven years old, I've been a diehard Saints fan. And um, 
I felt I felt some of that of trying to take the moment away in the bounty scandal, you know. But to me, it will always be about Tracy Porter intercepting Peyton Manning and the way I felt that day and watching Drew Brees with the Lombardi Trophy and Balin Brees on the podium and the confetti. And it will always be about that to me, regardless if there was a bounty or was it a bounty or anything that's said after the fact. Because I, you know, I don't know how you feel about it. And you should. (laughs) That's exactly what you should be doing. Like, never mind the fact that you can make a pretty strong argument that the large reason that that became a scandal in the first place, this fairly common thing that's been done by most teams throughout football history became a scandal right as concussions and player safety were becoming this thing that the NFL needed to take a strong publicity stance on. Mm -hmm. That would be, (laughs) as a Saints fan, I have to tell you, that would really frustrate me. The idea that, like, (laughs) unfortunately, this this quote-unquote scandal, which really was only a scandal because there was a tape of someone saying it, the idea that this is somehow new in football history is crazy, but... To me, that doesn't matter. Like, even if it turned out that five years, that that two years later, Drew Brees was snuffing hog whale hormone <laughs> things that were making him four thousand pounds stronger, and 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 they were t- like that doesn't change that awesome thing that happened that you experienced. Yep. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's like I think you that I think it's key for fans to separate themselves from the corporate full snocky out of, of it all <laughs> and, and to separate themselves from, from whether the NFL is protecting themselves or whether the, whether the, whether the writers are, are trying to make up for the fact that they didn't break stories 15 years ago. That has nothing to do with us as fans. That has nothing to do with our experience and our enjoyment of the game. And I think we get caught up in that sometimes because the people that cover sports, frankly, are not necessarily like the people that consume sports. So I, I, one of the things I try to do with my comments, what I do with most of my work really, is to remind people that like that this is what it's about it's not about it's not about first take it's not about two people screaming at each other trying to debate it's not about ratings it's not about who's watching this it's actually about the experience that you know life is hard <laughs> life is extremely difficult there are, and it's complicated and it and, and it causes us trouble and, and it just wears us out sports is this place where we get to go that doesn't actually matter to our lives in any day-to-day way anyway it doesn't help us pay our bills doesn't actually doesn't like to help us you know get along better with their families. Like, sports, the actual people that play the sports don't matter to us. What matters is what we bring to the sports and what we take out of it. And it's as diversion, and it's as, and not to say that it doesn't matter, for crying out loud, my, every time I talk to my father, we talk about sports for half the conversation, if not more. It's a very strong thing for us. But the notion that whether Mark McGuire did steroids or whether, whether Drew Brees, whether there was, a, there was a, a bounty thing or it's just Roger Goodell trying to cover his butt, that doesn't actually affect me in the way I experience sports. And, and it shouldn't affect the way fans do it at all. So, yeah, that's my viewpoint. I, and you, don't get me started on Lance Armstrong because I definitely don't think we should care about that. But. <laughs> yeah, no. You know, I, I don't know if, if it's the McGuire home run for you or, or something that happened in the last two Tony La Russa World Series runs, but for me, I mean, no matter what is said about the 2009 Saints, whether, whether there was a bounty, whether there wasn't, whether there's this strange thing that Jonathan Vilma put $10,000 in the first two games but didn't put it up for Peyton Manning or whatever the case is, Every week or maybe even less than that, I find myself going to YouTube to watch Tracy Porter pick off Peyton Manning just because it brings me back to that moment and that time and that feeling that I'm never going to let go no matter what. And I think that's why we love sports so much. That's why we do this show. That's why you write about sports. I, I really believe that. 
Yeah, I think so too. I and that is that's the. I mean, it's funny. You know, I get asked a lot by like young young journalists. You know, why what what I should uh, what advice I would give to them. And first of all, I'm really not the person to be asking that because everything I've kind of done has been kind of backwards and and different. Anyway, but to me, the main thing I can say is like just remember why you like sports and why you want to write about sports in the first place, and remember why this is fun. You know, to me, there's nothing sadder. You know, occasionally I try to avoid the press box as a general rule, but sometimes, sometimes I have to go you know, for for New York or for Sports on Earth. Sometimes it's required, and there's nothing to me sadder than to see, you know, a group of people in the press box that are scowling and desperate for the game to get over, right. <laughs> and, and they wanted to finish. And and just, I hope I hope nothing interesting or exciting happened in this game so I can file my story quickly and go home. <laughs> and I understand it. Listen, it's a job. We all feel that way about our job sometimes. But I feel like you know that's me kind of guided me in my path of my career of like wanting to avoid that sensation, wanting to avoid that feeling of like to me, you know, I never wanted to get into sports as a, as a profession. You know, I, I was just a writer. Sports was something, sports is something I very care about deeply. And I love, but it was not something I ever really necessarily wanted to make a profession out of because I'd seen so many people who, see, who went into it loving sports and came out of it angry all the time or, or not enjoy or cynical about everything. And I don't want to be cynical about sports. So to me, you know, that's the main advice I would give anyone is just to remember that, like, you know, you went into sports because you like sports. <laughs> I feel like that's a key thing for people to hang on to. You need to make sure that you avoid Ralph Wilson Stadium's press box at all costs. Because <laughs> I can tell I've you, I've been to the same. I like the stadium. My my, oh, uh, my wife's uh, place, I, my yeah. wife has family there, so I've been to a few games there. I I enjoy that. I've not sat in the press box. Yeah, I, uh, I I can't imagine. I have to tell you, it's probably. Yeah, you know, I've been in a couple other football press boxes. I always joke that it's like basically. Like looking at like it feels like you're like looking at an aquarium at the zoo. You want to tap on the glass to see if the fish can see you when you open the press box like that because it's it's really like it's this antiseptic, weird. Just you're you're watching it like another from another ecosystem almost. And uh, I and you know that's not why I like sports. I try to avoid that as much as I can. We need more Bobby A bears running around in the uh, in the press box and causing some ruckus and getting, <laughs> getting dragged out, or maybe somewhere in between the two, probably. Uh, well, that was a half an hour gone in a blink, and I don't feel like I should keep you longer than that. I don't know if we got to anything I planned or not. I think we just kind of sat and talked. And I went on some tangents. I'm sorry. Uh, it's okay. I, 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 keep going. I think uh, everyone's going to really enjoy it, and um, I want to make sure everyone knows uh, where they can find you. Obviously, sportsonearth.com. They can find you there, find you on Twitter. It's... Uh, you want to give out your Twitter and stuff like that? Yeah, it's uh, William uh, F. Leach, L-E-I-T-C-H. And uh, I also have uh, my homepage is leach.tumblr.com. That's where you can find it all, all of my stuff. I write for so many different places. I always feel like it's important to uh, have like a home base. Cause, uh, but my, my, my full-time job is in New York Magazine, and that's, uh, that's where you can find most of my stuff. But certainly I write other places, including Sports on Earth. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I mean, we really appreciate it and all the time, and it was really a great great fun for us and hopefully you'd be uh, willing to come on again of course thanks for having me and that, now my, my son came over to say goodbye as well Oh, that was, that was him. Yeah, I wasn't like torturing someone that's my, that's my, that's my one year old saying hi to dad so oh, he says nice. hello but, What's your but, uh, seriously thanks for having me it was my pleasure and uh, anytime continue good luck with the podcast thank you very much All right, we want to thank Will Leach for being on the program. I'm really excited about that. I hope uh, our listeners like it. And um, 
we look forward to having Will on again. I, I think, like I said, we're going to, I mean, we're still going to have uh, John Wertheim on as soon as he gets back from Australia, and Jenkins is going to be here, and I'm sure we're going to have Richard Deitch soon again. And I mean, our guys are still our guys, but I think this one thing we want to do this winter is put ourselves out there a little bit, kind of like we did to get our guys. Right. You know what I mean? We got our guys because we put ourselves out there and we, we kind of went for it. And I think we're going to do more of that and take more chances um, because we can. And like you said, the rumored guest or whatever, the would be something guest definitely would be different. along those lines. And yeah. we talk about, I think the description either on our website or on our Twitter or something says something like we're a sports media and pop culture show. Intertwined. And, yeah, right. yeah. So... So we're going to do more of that kind of a thing. And, I mean, even our next interview is about definitely a niche sport of college hockey. Uh, but, you know, you can skip around if you want, if that's the kind of listener you are. Or you can take the opportunity with some of the off-the-wall stuff that we do do this year to kind of have fun with it like we're going to. And just see, not everything's going to work. We know that. You right. know what I mean? We might have some things that after we'll just kind of say, well, that – we're not going to do that again, but maybe with the guys that are our guys, like we know a little bit about, like a Damashek, a uh, Luke Wynn, uh, any guy, Wertheim, those type of guys we have a little bit more of a rapport with. Maybe we do two thirds of the interview about their expertise, and maybe we go into like personal stuff, like music or whatever, just something to make it a little bit different. So, if you're not into college basketball, maybe you're into the second half of the interview, right? And uh, I think that's something that we did recently with Roy McGregor. Yeah. You know, where we started and we talked a little bit about the NHL and his experience at uh, the Hall of Fame. And then we just did something completely different and broke down a random tragedy hit, hit song. song yep. You know, so that's something that we're going to do more of this, this, this winter, I guess, in spring. Yeah. And then when everything is fall, when fall comes, we'll be back to what we've Football been, I guess, or, or yep. you know, whatever we evolved to. And I think this is a show that's uh, always evolving. And if you're just a diehard football guy, the the Football Nation show will be there for you. Yep. It's not going anywhere anytime soon, uh, as far as I know. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> yeah, we haven't heard anything. Yeah. Uh, as far as I know, uh, we're definitely going to April. I know that much. That's right. Okay. Uh, so, the book club... Jeremy Roenick is going to fall into an exclusive category with Hank Haney as the only guy to officially blow us off after we spent over a month promoting his book. Yeah, that's a bummer. Like you, off the air, you kind of made the uh, John Smoltz. John Smoltz is, is the, the parallel. Yeah, the, the uh, parallel. The similar athlete, and he came on the show the day his book was released. Yeah, and he's. I love hockey. I don't need to really even preface my statement by saying that, but John Smoltz is a bigger name in a much bigger sport. So the idea that JR couldn't make the time is kind of a bummer. And uh, my first approach to this was all the way back on November 9th was the first contact I made with the publisher. And I mentioned last week how first he said the book tour was in December or it was going to be in November, so it had to be in December. Then when I asked him in December, he said the book tour was in December, so it had to be in January. And then I asked him in January, and he said, 
Give me Depends some, on the- give me some dates. And I gave him some dates. And then he said, well, just hold on because we have to find out what his NBC commitments are. I said, no problem. So this week I emailed him and I said, I'm sure the NBC stuff is sorted out at this point. I know it seems unlikely, but what are our chances of setting something up? First, you said December, then January, then on hold. We promoted the book in good faith. If it isn't going to happen, just let me know. And he wrote back, unfortunately, I will not be able to schedule this for you. Thanks, Bill. Is Ronick in town this weekend? Like, do they travel with the broadcast No, their crew? studio is somewhere. Okay. I right. heard that they have a new state-of-the-art studio, I think, in Stamford, Connecticut. Oh, that's cool. Well, the Sabres so, are the first NBC game. So I wrote back Sunday. to Bill, and I said, I figured as much, and I think you knew that way back on November 9th when I first asked. Thanks for the book. We enjoyed promoting it. A little sarcasm there. <laughs> we have done this book club for two years now, having had Frank DeFord, James Andrew Miller, John Smoltz, Michael Holly, Mark Titus, Gene Wojciechowski, Peter King, and others. Jeremy, Rook, Jeremy Roenick now joins an exclusive club with Hank Haney as the only two authors to blow us off. And he wrote back and passed the buck. He said, Stephen, now he called me Stephen on this one, uh, I did not know this would not be possible because I don't control JR's schedule. He has a business manager who does that for him, and I am at her mercy. I'm sorry that you're disappointed, but this isn't anything personal. I try to fulfill every interview request, but sometimes that's just not possible. And that's from Bill Ames, the senior publicist at Independent Publishers Group. And I guess if we're burning a bridge at IPG, so be it. <laughs> so who do you who do you think is at fault? If we're in the bridge burning, to be honest, I think it's Bill because I feel like he blew us off from November 9th on. Do you think he never gave us a straight answer? Not to name names because that got us in trouble last time, but do you think this is like the last case where we suspected that it never even got to the person? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think this business manager was ever asked if Jeremy Roenick would be available any time, which is what I told them. Right. You know, any time. Yeah, we're nothing if not flexible. But uh, yeah. So moving on, we have a new book um, okay. for the Book Club Book of the Month, and it's something – I how unpopular that makes us that we do that on the air. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm just being honest with our listeners because I feel right. like for over a month I've promoted this book with the thought of Jeremy Roenick being on the show. Would have been sweet. Um, and unfortunately, Jeremy Roenick's not going to be on the show. Yeah. We're nothing if not flexible and honest. Yes. So if uh, Bill is upset that the listeners know why Jeremy was on not on the show, sorry, Bill. Yep, we didn't make anything up. Nope. Uh, the next book club book of the month is another hockey book that kind of excites me because I was always into. I'm always been into captains. Um, okay. I love that part of the game. I love how important captains are in hockey. I think it's part of what makes the sport a little bit unique compared to some of the other sports where captains maybe aren't as big of a deal. Uh, and the book is called Wearing the Sea, Leadership Secrets from Hockey's Greatest Captains. And it's by a guy named Ross Bernstein, who I've already spoke with and is very excited to be part of the book club and <laughs> to be on the show. So I don't think there's any concern that Ross is going to fall into category with Hank and Jeremy. That's an interesting, that's an interesting topic. And, uh, and uh, it's a really cool, it seems I'm like a really cool that. book. Uh, Bobby Clark, Scott Stevens, and Brendan Shanahan, all famous captains, wrote forwards for the book. How modern does he get in it? Uh, seemingly very modern. Uh, Wayne Gretzky's on the cover holding the Stanley Cup with the C. 
And uh, it's a very affordable $14 for a hardcover book on barnesandnoble.com, maybe even less than that on Amazon. There is a Nook copy and yeah. a um, Kindle Kindle copy. I'm not sure about iTunes. I didn't check, but probably. Right. Uh, pretty much everything is spread out across all platforms at this point for eBooks. Uh, and you might even be able to get it less there. And um, like I said, I talked to Ross, uh, the author, Ross Bernstein, last night, who's written a few books about hockey. Uh, he also wrote a book uh, called Raising Stanley, What It Takes. He's written about Barry Bonds. He's written about World Series winners, Brett Favre. Uh, similar to Raising Stanley, he wrote a book called Raising Lombardi. And he also, on his website, says that he's a motivational speaker. So it'll be interesting to see what he says about wearing the C. Uh, maybe we can do some interesting things. Maybe get some captains Well, from a Buffalo, show. Buffalo point of view, I mean, the best Sabres team that I've ever witnessed had probably our best had, captain. And had sure. two of them, though. Yeah, two of them. That's right. Because Danny Breer was the captain, and they kind of rotated it. So yeah. it'd be interesting to get his take on that. It'd be interesting to get, I mean, the, I think the year following that, they had like a captain every month. And that's kind of like the the thing if you if you can't pick one and you don't have one type right. thing. But uh, maybe not in the Breer Jury situation though. Probably. Well, right. They just that was had fair two. to have two. Um, but I got a question for you too. This is our podcast. So we can go long. We talked yeah. about that off the air. Yeah. Uh, you're more familiar with Kindle and Nook yes. type stuff. Are they significantly cheaper than the real book? Um, well, in this case, book? it's two dollars less. Two dollars at Barnes and Noble's version. Because one thing I bought a CD on Amazon today, and I noticed one thing Amazon's doing is they have—I can't remember what they call it—but Amazon Prime, right? Well, no, that Prime is like their shipping thing. It's called like Amazon Burn or something like that. Okay. Where when you buy the physical CD, you also get the digital CD. And I always said like I like like if you look in our studio, we have a cool bookshelf. I mean, we didn't buy most of those. Most of those were given to us by publishers, but it's yeah. still cool to have physical books. Right. And I thought publishers should give you the digital copy too like that would be a cool thing to do but then again i don't i don't know anything about like i said i wasn't sure how what the cost difference well, was you know actually if people are interested there has been several occasions where we have gotten books shipped to us and the author has said here in the meantime here's the e-copy of the book oh that's cool you know um some authors have said is an e-copy good enough i wonder what you know the- i think i've done that before i, I know back when cd's first became popular they you'd always hear all these horror stories about how a cd costs you 15 bucks at the store and the band's making like 25 cents of it after like all the stuff that goes into it i wonder if the author makes more money off the kindle one because they don't have to pay anybody to press a book or but i mean i imagine they're still paying the public it's interesting stuff i, I don't and i think probably with books if there's a new way for people to read them i think authors are just happy there's a new way for them more to mediums read them. out there right. yeah you know, because we've heard about books and newspapers being kind of a dying, dying breed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was like just I said, side. excited about Wearing the Sea, Leadership Secrets from Hockey's Greatest Captains by Ross Bernstein with forwards from Bobby Clark, Scott Stevens, and Brendan Shanahan. And uh, we look forward to talking to Ross more about the book. And uh, we will be right back to talk some college hockey with Ken Schott from the Daily Gazette in the capital region of New York. Kenny Agassino, are we going to go for hats? Anthony Day! Welcome to the goal column, young man! 7-1! 
That's the best retaliation right there. That dude takes a shot of the mouth and they give one right back on the power play. Beautiful play by the Bulldogs. Take that one, Harvard. Seven. Our next guest is a writer for the Daily Gazette in the Capital Region. Is originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and is recognized as one of the top college hockey writers in the country. Uh, he won the ECAC Hockey Media Award in 1998 and served on the Hobie Baker Award Selection Committee from 1991 to 2001. Um, he is a beat writer for the Union College hockey team and also covers RPI and the ECAC as a whole. Uh, warm sportscasters, welcome for the second time to Ken Schott. How are you doing today, Ken? I'm doing How's doing? Doing really good. Uh, like I kind of told you ahead of time, you know, personally, I was kind of okay with the NHL not being around, um, having a brother playing D1 hockey, kind of enjoying the college hockey scene and still keeping an eye on the USHL where he was before and enjoyed the World Junior Tournament and didn't really need the NHL back, but now it's creeping in and I thought it'd be the perfect time as students are returning to colleges and rivalry weekends are coming up and big games are being played across the country to talk a little college hockey before the NHL kind of tries to steal and hog the college spotlight again, or the hockey spotlight again. It's amazing. Uh, I had a lot of attention during the NHL. Uh, you know, NBC Sports Network uh, had a number of games on. Of course, CBS Sports Regional uh, uh Sports channels, of course. NBC Sports Network had a lot of games. Mike Kimbrick and uh, Pierre McGuire games. I know they did uh, the Prince game uh, and they did. I know they did Cornell game back earlier in the season. So I was guys uh, and I had Pierre McGuire on my uh, Slap Shots College Hockey uh, radio segment uh, last week, and he is passionate about college hockey, having you know played and coached in college. He was also Coach at St. Lawrence, so uh, it's and in fact, the Pierre and then and Doc Emmerich spread the word of not only you know, NHL when they're doing their NHL broadcast, but they always college hockey. So yeah, college hockey a lot of attention. It's going to give it, get even a lot more attention once the NHL starts up again on Saturday. Yeah, the NBC Sports Network has certainly done a lot um, to promote college hockey and. It helps that <clears throat> NCAA hockey has claimed that one-third of the players in the National Hockey League now have college hockey backgrounds, and certainly some big stars in the league. Jonathan Taves comes to mind as someone who has played some college hockey. Um, what kind of is Before we get into like the actual season, what's kind of your opinion about the top guys, the guys who come through to de- the development program? And we see more and more of them kind of going to play college hockey, but maybe almost treating it like college basketball, not staying the full-time, playing a year or two, and then moving on. Do you think that that has helped college hockey or hurt college hockey? Do you think those players would be better served just going to the CHL? I think it's helped college hockey. I mean, college hockey is a different animal, like unlike college basketball. For college hockey, you're getting some older players. You're getting some 20, 21-year-old players coming in who have some maturity playing in the uh, some of those uh, – Mid-level to uh, junior leagues in the uh, in Canada, also the USHL, um, so North American League. Obviously, you're getting some guys there, but I think it really helped the game. And you're getting, like I said, you're getting a lot more mature player, and there seems to be a lot, lot more out there. And I think uh, that's uh, yeah, you, you have the Jeremy Walsh leaving like he did uh, at the end of uh, his junior year last season at Union, but uh, 
I, I, it's really, I think it has helped the game. I don't think it's hurt it at all. I think that the one thing that's really hurt the college game is some of the uh, younger players, the 18, 19-year-olds, getting swept away by these Canadian uh, Junior League teams. And I think that's something the NCAA has to look at in trying to prevent that. Yeah, I think a great example of the latter is Jaden Swartz, who's a kid who maybe 10 years ago never sniffs college hockey, you know, but goes to the USHL and then decides to play a year with his brother at Colorado College, and he's a first-round pick of the St. Louis Blues. You know, didn't play a long college career, but for the people in Colorado College and for that program, I'm sure it did a lot to have a Jaden Swartz around for a year or so. Yeah, I think the colleges would rather see players leave to go to the pros and then leave in college and go up to the uh, major Canadian. I think, as we said, there's a, there's a, a, a the war. There's a, there's a war going on. Let's, let's put it that way. There's a war between the major unions and NCAA, and uh, they got to figure that out. But I think uh, you're, you're, you're obviously seeing that more and more. I mean, you, know, you look at uh, even going back to the, you know, Adam Oates, who just inducted in the uh, Pro Hockey Hall of Fame back in November, a great career RPI, and you know, Joey Mullen before that at Boston College, Brian Leach at Boston College. You, you're seeing a lot more, and I think I have to go back way back to, to the 1980 Olympics when uh, the USA won uh, the gold medal and upset the Russians in the uh, semifinals, and I think that's really where the early birth of uh, USA hockey got going, and now you're really starting to see the fruits of that with college hockey. And I mean, the kids that, uh, in Canada, like I said, play in that, those mid-level junior leagues, and uh, they, they see college hockey as an alternative, and they get a chance, and uh, they better prove themselves. Yeah. You cover the ECAC uh, really closely, and for a long time there was a you know, a big pun, the easy AC, but it's it's not that way anymore. It's definitely a league that's come a long way in the last couple seasons, and they have, I think, five of the top 20 or so right now on the USCHO ranking, something like that. Uh, Quinnipiac's at the top. What what has Quinnipiac done this year to distance themselves so far from a really competitive conference? Well, I picked Union to uh, you know, try a three-peat this year, I mean, obviously, but... Uh, and I, but I, I mentioned, uh, I thought, I, and I, I've told this to many people, I thought Quinnipiac would be a dark horse in this league because I think they just seem to have, you know, the great goaltending Eric Hartzell and, you know, some great offense, but they just never could seem to put it together. Uh, you know, when Quinnipiac came into the ECAC, they were just a, they always, it was an offense first, second, third, and a defense like, oh, we'll play it once in a while. But I think you're starting to see the trend that there's, you know, they're, they're getting that defensive game in order. They were just trying to find that consistency. I mean, a few years ago they had Union on the ropes in the quarterfinals, but couldn't do it. Last year they had Colgate on the ropes in the quarterfinals and couldn't do it. But you're starting to see that now where they have that, not only the great goaltending, but now they get a bounce attack. They're paying attention to defensive play, and they're taking advantage of the opportunities. A great example of that was in Saturday's game against Union. Union's up 2 nothing after two periods. They have a 5-1-3 major for the first five minutes of that third period and generate, what, one or two shots on goal. Quinnipiac kills it off, and then they take the momentum of that and end up winning a game 3-2, and that's why they're, they're running and hiding right now from the rest of the ECAC. And, uh, you know, I, I had them ranked number two in my uh, uh, USCHO poll vote. I'm surprised they didn't move up as high a uh, lot uh, to that slot. But uh, I, I just think you're seeing a, a balanced team now, which and, and they're playing consistently, and, and just right now they have a lot of confidence. And I think, you know, I talked to Rand Pecknell last week, and he thought the uh, game against Colgate, the uh, game where they outshot Colgate 37-10, but needed overtime to uh, win that game. That's uh, the game that started this uh, unbeaten streak that they're on. That, uh, that got them going, and I think that gave them a lot of confidence, and they've been on a roll ever since. 
Yeah, um, you mentioned Hartzell, the goaltending there, and also Andy Isles and uh, Cornell, one of the better goalies in the country. Um, is is the key to maybe winning this league getting the goaltending? Yeah, I mean, if you look at Union in the last two years, I mean, Keith Kincaid uh, was a big factor in helping them win the ECAC, uh, their first Clary Cup championship. He ended up winning the Ken Dryden Award, and he goes to uh, sign with the New Jersey Devils. Uh, Troy Grosnick last year, same thing, wins the Ken, you know, Ken Dryden Award, and Union uh, you know, repeats as the regular season championship. Not only that, they get to the uh, Frozen Four, the first uh, ECAC team since uh, Cornell in 2003 to, right. to reach that uh, milestone. So. Uh, yeah, goaltending is key. Uh, Hart told me uh, he, was, he played great. He's been playing great, played great last year, and he's, he, he stepped up his game this year. And I mean, uh, he's going to be the runaway winner for the uh, getting driving the award this year. And I, and I think you, know, as I said, I think that their offensive attack is now balanced and not getting production from just one player. I think that you know, he spread the scoring around, and that makes it difficult uh, for opposing teams to stop. If Quinnipiac is the best team in the ECAC, who's the second best? Are you still with Union or Yale's done really well? I don't, I don't, know. Of the I don't know right now. It's, it's flip flops. I mean, I think Union's going to be devastated by that loss to Quinnipiac. I mean, this is the third time this year they've blown a, a, a two goal lead in the game, and, and I just, I just don't know if they can have. I mean, I think they're going to try to get over, but that's going to be tough. I mean, Yale can be, you know, Yale had a good weekend with North Country, but. They're inconsistent. I mean, Jeff, Jeff Malcolm had a great weekend, yep. but he, we know sometimes he can yep. have a, a lousy game or two. So I, I mean, right now, there's really no solid number two in my book in the uh, ECAC. With uh, how important is taking care of the conference, but also what teams have done out of conference in terms of the pairwise rankings and getting bids from this league? Do you think this is a Two-bid league, three-bid league, four-bid league this year. Where do you see the ECAC standing so far in terms of when you look at pair-wise and rankings and things like that? Well, I think you're looking at definitely, too. I think, you know, obviously, you know, whoever wins the ECAC tournament, I think Quinnipiac could be in no matter what. If, even if they don't win the ECAC tournament, I think they're, they're solid uh, to make the NCAAs. Uh, I think Dartmouth could be in there, too. Dartmouth is a little bit of a surprise this year. Uh, yeah, possibly Colgate. Colgate's been having a decent, a surprisingly decent year because I think a lot of us expected uh, them to uh, tail off, losing some key uh, scoring from last season. But uh, they seem to be uh, in the mix right now. Uh, I think Union played itself out of a at-large bid because of uh, losing to Lake Superior State twice uh, at the start of uh, January, and uh, and then obviously the loss to Quinnipiac. So I think they're going to find themselves needing to win. The ECAC is just to get back in the in the for a third straight NCAA tour, but I, I see definitely two and uh, maybe three at the most. I mean, four would be spectacular for this league, I mean, uh, but I, I don't I just don't see that happening. Right, that's a, basically a fourth of the tournament if you were to get four. Um, yeah. As we look kind of around the country a little bit, opening our scope a little bit more, um, have you had a chance to see some of the bigger teams? There's a lot of net like powers in the top five or so this year. A lot of names that when you think of college hockey, you see the Boston College, Minnesota, Boston University, North Dakota, um, Notre Dame, and uh, Harvard was able to uh, come back on BU, probably definitely one they'd like to have back on the NBC Sports Network last week uh, without Vesey even getting a point in the game. Um, so where, where do you look at some of these big powers kind of emerging as the dominant teams this year? Well, I think obviously you had to start with Boston College, you know, defending NCAA champions, and uh, yeah, Johnny Goudreau back uh, from uh, Team USA in the World Junior Championships winning the gold medal. Uh, they seem to have all the uh, 
uh, tools in place. They although they lost a key player in uh, the senior defenseman patch hour for at least the remainder of the regular season with a torn meniscus in his right knee. Uh, but I, uh, that's a team that, you know, always seems to be, you know, get ready to go, uh, right, you know, when they want to win the bean pot and, and then they're ready to roll into the, uh, into the, uh, postseason. Uh, New Hampshire's a team that I think has surprised a few people and they're, they've been playing well and they're, they're ranked number one for a brief time earlier this season. And I, I think Minnesota, I think you started to see a, the uh, reemergence of Minnesota last year getting to the frozen floor after maybe a couple off years. Uh, I watched a little bit of their game last uh, week against Notre Dame, and they really seemed to you know, play well. Of course, they dominated Boston College in the Mariucci, Mariucci Classic uh, uh, right before the end of uh, end of 2012. So I think that Minnesota seems to be back on track after a couple of years away. So I, I think you'll see uh, you know, BC and Minnesota you know, you know, possibly back in the Frozen Four this year. And uh, and maybe I, I don't know about New Hampshire, but I think you yeah, definitely uh, BC and uh, Minnesota. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when you look at the kind of the landscape of things and the way things are shaping out, and it's interesting to see how down Michigan is. I mean, yeah, I was shocked. I was shocked. I watched uh, their their game against uh, Bowling Green last Tuesday on the Big Ten Network, and it's just mind-boggling. I mean, I know last year Union went in there and thoroughly dominated the Wolverines, and it seemed like some other teams were going into Yost Arena and just, you know, taking it to Michigan and just maybe – they're just in a bad, you know. They, they seem to they seem to be hurt the most by teams uh, players leaving either for the pros or for major juniors. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it may take some time for them to recover. And that's that's just, it's stunning to see that program, you know, mediocre. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember the last time that a Michigan team was seven, thirteen, and two. You know, losing exhibition games to the U.S. under eighteen team, using losing and tying, I think Niagara earlier in the season, mm-hmm. yep. an Atlantic hockey team. You know, it's just. At home, that's just not things that you see from a Michigan type of team. Um, just really surprising. Yeah, I was very shocked. Like I said, you know, Bowling Green took it to them on Tuesday night, and uh, they're hurting. There's no doubt in fact that the Wolverines are hurting right now, and uh, I think yeah, Red Burns is going to find a way to get that program back on track. So for college hockey fans, from now until the end of the season, what should we watch for? Like, what Between January and the end of February, what – if you have a favorite team or a team that you're hoping is going to make the tournament or win their conference, what kind of things do you need to see start to come together at this time? I think you need to see the teams, uh, you know, play, play, play entire defense, holding on the lead, which, you know, when we get back to Union there, if they want to get back to a NCAA tour, they got to do that. And I just think you just you know, got to, you know, get some luck along the way and you know, avoid some injuries and, uh, you know, to, you know, you know, get some puck luck, as the coaches and players like to say. And if you get some of that stuff and get on a roll, uh, who knows what happens? You know, look what happened with the first state last year, and you know their first trip to the Frozen Four and get to the championship game. So, uh, I think you're going to see, and I think one some of the one league you look out for is the Atlantic Hockey because they seem to be playing. Some of the teams playing well. Niagara, Robert Morris, yeah. and Holy Cross were ranked in the top twenty uh, for uh, one week there a couple weeks ago. So, I mean, that's that's, that's a league you really can't. Uh, uh, ignore, and uh, they got some good teams in there, and uh, RIT you know, always, always in the mix there, so I think you got to watch that league, and, uh, and obviously uh, the ECAC. I think it's going to be an interesting mix uh, for the uh, NCAA tournament when the bids uh, come out in uh, mid-March. 
Our, uh, the Atlantic Hockey League's not afraid to upset a big name in the NCAA tournament either. We've seen it happen to Minnesota, and we've seen RIT, I think, go to the Frozen Four one year, right? Yeah, RIT. Yeah, the RIT, when they, they played here in Albany at the East Regional, they took out Denver, Denver yeah. and then New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that league, like you said, is definitely they they're they're scary. They're a scary out. They they think they just always get taken lightly and usually play the number one team in the tournament. And they've they've done it before. Holy Cross, I think, is the team that beat Minnesota, right? To kind of yes, start right, it. Yep. And, yeah. So that's definitely a scary league. And you were you've covered yesterday uh, kind of something special that's going on this weekend with the uh, Union and uh, RPI rivalry. Yeah, they're, they're going to play a, a. They always play a third game, and it's been either uh, part of uh, what they used to call the the Capital Skates Classic. Uh, to the, uh, and then a few years ago was the Governor's Cup, part of a tournament that they had uh, for uh, three years. And then uh, the last couple of years, they played up in Lake Placid as part of a doubleheader with Clark and St. Lawrence. It's that they're going to make it a Mayor's Cup game. That that game is actually next Saturday at that Times Union Center, and uh, they're trying to you know dress up that, that non-league game and make it important. And, you know, they're, they're expecting 8,000 fans. I'm not sure about that, but it seems like you know, these non-league games that they've played, they've played uh, at the Tires Union Center uh, five times over the years, and, it, you know, they really, most they ever drew was over 5,000 for the first Capital Skates Classic back in 1996. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if they can draw, make, make something special along the lines and, I, I'm not. I wouldn't compare it to the beat pop. I think you, you get a chance to play your, your capital region rival. Uh, it's a, you know, it doesn't affect the standings, which I think is takes a little bit of the fun out of it. But if you're playing for a trophy and you know you want to win it, you know, especially win the first Mayor's Cup, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how the, the fans react. I, I'm hoping that they can do this right because it, it, the past years when they played in those nine league games, it's usually been in. October, November, no people aren't thinking hockey. And now at the end of January, uh, it could it could work. I mean, I, I hope it works. Um, the pessimist inside of me says I'm not sure it will work, but you know, you got to try it. And if they if they draw well, have a good game, maybe it becomes a tradition here in the capital region. So something I was just thinking about when we were talking about RPI. So RPI goalie um, Scotty Diebold, uh, RPI defenseman. Um, oh geez, why can't I think? Uh, Nick Balin. Mm-hmm. Um, that's two. Joe Zarbo of Clarkson, and my brother who plays for Yale. All four of them went to the same prep school in Buffalo with eighteen hundred students that had two alumni hired as uh, NFL GMs last week. Pretty incredible, huh? Wow. They actually think about football, these prep schools, huh? Yeah, well, yeah, 1,800 <laughs> students. And uh, I think the football connection comes from Bill Polian being the general manager mm-hmm. of the Bills. His son was a St. Francis graduate. And um, I think uh, Mr. Polian was integral in getting the careers of the two guys who were hired by the Jaguars. And I can't think of the other team as GMs. But four players just in the ECAC basically from the same class and uh, from the same 1800 city 1800 student prep school in Athol Springs New York which is that's just ama- south amazing. of Buffalo and that doesn't doesn't count the players that went to the OHL and played in Atlantic hockey like Vinny Scarcella and a bunch of other people so I just thought I'd mention mention that cuz I was thinking about it while we were talking about RPI 
But um, anything else we didn't cover as far as college hockey? Oh, I know what we didn't cover. I mentioned you used to vote for the uh, Hobie Baker. Who are some of the leaders for the Hobie Baker this year? Well, I think I'd obviously put Hartzell in there. Gourdeau, uh obviously, I think you're, you're top, some of your top candidates. It's, it's always a crapshoot with these things. And, and I think the one thing I don't like about the Hobie Baker is I, I think it should be a regular season award or at least through the end of the uh, conference tournament. I think they, they take it to the NCAA regionals into account, and I, I don't think that's fair. I, I think you, you should just concentrate on what you do in – from uh, October through mid-March, what happens in the NCAA tournament. Because it's, uh, some pe- some players aren't playing in the NCAA tournament. Hobie Baker can't. And, and some guys can uh, you know, influence, uh, you know, have a couple of games and really influence the vote, but they don't take account of the uh, Frozen Four. So it's kind of a, you know, if you're going to take it into account the NCAA regionals, you should take into account the Frozen Four. So I, I, I would wish that would, you know, look at that voting and just keep it through uh, the, uh, you know, the regular season and the conference tournaments. What do you think? This is one one last thing we can kind of close on this. What do you think about the way each conference is dealing with overtime? I, I know that one of the conferences has moved to a shootout, but most of them, you know, you get to college hockey overtime and it's five on five, five minutes, and nine out of ten times it's a tie. It seems like you know everyone plays for the tie. Nobody wants to go home empty-handed, especially in the conference games. Would you like to see a little bit more of a, an evolution of overtime in college hockey? I mean, I think the, one of the things that they did do with the regular season overtime, which they don't do in the NHL regular season overtime, is they switch ends. Uh, they, they treat right. it like a playoff game where they switch ends. I think you see a lot more games decided now. I mean, you look at the uh, the BC Harvard or BU Harvard game last week and how that was up and down, and nobody wanted to, to end up in that tie. Uh, the shootouts, I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, for NCAA purposes, they don't count toward the overall record. Uh, as far as league standings, I, I, I know the CCHA does that, and if they right. want to do it, fine. I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, the first shootout first, first was uh, adopted by the NHL. I thought it was a nice concept, but I, I think you got to. Yeah, I, I like to see the college leagues go four and four. Four and four, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, would you like, like to go extend the overtime by five more, make it ten minutes? Sure, but. Yeah, you, know, you got to understand this. You're playing on weekends and you're playing back-to-back games. You don't want to end up having too much wear and tear on the athletes. And I think uh, you know, if they go maybe four and four for five minutes, uh, maybe that would be a better way of doing it. But I, I think the fact that they do change ends, I think, uh, opens it up a little more and because you have that longer change and it makes it you know, a little scary because you don't want to make have a bad line change. And if you have a bad line change, the result's in a goal. Yeah, I, I I think I'd love to see four on four, and I I think it'd be great for hockey East too with the with the big rinks that they play on to see some four on four and overtime there, and um, you know that's always just kind of seems like they have some room to try some things, even if it was just maybe, you know, if you tried it for a year and like you said the shootout doesn't count towards NCAs, you know maybe we could do something like that just to try and maybe experiment a little bit. But I'm all for college hockey. Um, getting better if it if it can in any way, and that's why I wanted to get your opinion on that. But maybe 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 what they should do is experiment the non-conference games with right. the four and four, see how that goes. And uh, but uh, I don't know if that'll happen. But I mean, you, know, you talk to some coaches that they, they they hate to shoot out, and but they don't like four and four. It's just maybe probably some coaches wish they didn't have overtime. And but yeah, you know, it's I think you need to have a winner and. Uh, I mean, college hockey is the last place in uh, in hockey, uh, except for obviously the youth levels, where ties are still 
recorded. You don't don't have that in the pros anymore and, and junior ranks and it's it's just the college hockey has a tie. So I mean, is is there an easy solution? No, but uh like I said, I mean yeah, maybe four or four might be something to consider. You have to experiment it with a little bit and for a year or two at least in non conference games and yeah, I'll see what happens. All right, you can read uh, Ken at www.dailygazette.com. Uh, you can also follow him on Twitter at SlapShots, S-C-H-O-T-T-S. And you have a weekly college hockey radio show that airs every Thursday from 11.05 to 11.30 on WOFX, 9.80 a.m. Yeah, that's uh, FoxSports980.com if you're around the country you want to listen to that. And it's always I always put the podcast up uh, on links to that on my blog at uh, I have a Shots blog on DailyZet.com. So uh, I'm seeing, I seem to be all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be uh, at the Union Games this weekend, I assume? Yes, uh, Cornell and Colgate, two big games, uh, ranked teams uh, playing each other. Uh, Union number 17, Cornell 16, and uh, Colgate's number 20. So it'll be uh, some big games. To start with a big stretch for Union, they got their, their first home game since December 1st. They play three uh, home games in the next five days. They have Harvard coming in uh, next Tuesday. Well, I will be at the well this weekend, alumni weekend, sold out the first night, standing room only the second night. Definitely looking forward to a great weekend of college hockey, and uh, maybe we'll talk on Twitter. Sounds good. All right, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. All right, welcome back. Thank you to Ken Schott and Will Leach for being on the show today. Uh, please do us a favor and check out our other podcast at footballnation.com. This week we have um, from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Mark Bradley, a longtime writer in the Atlanta sports area, talk a little bit about the Falcons and the run that they're on. And I even got a Greg Maddox question in, and I, <laughs> uh, I couldn't not talk to Greg about Greg Maddox when I had an Atlanta writer on the line. You know what? I've known you forever, and I just connected that right now. How weird that is that you're a huge Atlanta Braves fan, and you couldn't be less of an Atlanta Falcons yeah. fan. <laughs> it's just about TV. Yeah, yeah, Braves. TBS. I mean, the right. only reason I became a Braves fan was because – they were the only team I could watch every day. Yeah. It was before the Yes Network, you know, before SNY, so the two New York right, right. teams really, you know, Cleveland was never on. Um, a couple of thanks. want to thank uh, F.C. Kendrick, a uh, big fan of ours, yeah. uh, for giving us a shout-out on Twitter last week and thanking us for a podcast pretty much devoid of football talk. That's Seriously, right. <laughs> thank you. Um, so also want to thank Mike Tanier, uh, for <laughs> he was on the football show last week and said you can hear a podcast with me on iTunes with at Sportscasters. However, that works. So th- <laughs> thanks, Mike, for trying. And I also wanted to mention that you heard the uh, the little thing there, um, Malcolm Kelly. Where are you at, buddy? I'm shouting out to you on Twitter. Uh, he is King underscore Kelly eighty six on Twitter, and he only has. 718 followers, and I know he's seeing my messages to him that are saying, come on, Malcolm, let's chat. Uh, 
Not sure why at King Kali hasn't gotten back to us. His rap is in my top twenty-five played on iTunes. I actually checked. This is it really? Three. <laughs> Holy cow! <laughs> Probably because it only takes a minute to listen yeah, to, yeah. and it pumps me up about Oklahoma Sooners football. Games, yeah, you know. But um, and then I preface that with, "Let me see a sideways DB going back." <laughs> but Malcolm <laughs> Kelly, why don't you want to be on the show, man? Like, where are you? Like, I thought. I was really excited. He would fall in that interesting gray area because he's no longer in the league, but of uh, pop culture. I'd like to ask him what he thinks about the field in in, Seattle. In uh, Washington, Washington, where he was also injured. Um, And I want to see what he thinks about Adrian's season and what he thinks about OU football and what he thinks about the draft process. And There's a lot we could talk about with Malcolm Keller, including his freestyle rap, which is – one Great. of the all-time greatest things to ever happen, really on earth. Uh, <laughs> Number three all-time. Yeah. That's great. Uh, Facebook.com slash the sportscasters, at sports underscore casters on Twitter, sportscasters at gmail.com if you'd like to email us. And, of course, our website is www.sports-casters.com. Okay, last thing today is just pick four. Um, last week I went two and two, uh, at Atlanta over Seattle and New England over Houston, lost Green Bay over San Fran and Denver over Baltimore. Baltimore. And Don was the same except for he had Seattle over Atlanta. So he went one and three. I went two and two. I'm 13 and 11. Don stands at 10, 13 and one. What we're going to do this week is basically knock out the worldwide leader, just do two games of the week, and then a host choice and a bold prediction. And two games of the week are obvious. Don can start us. Yeah, thank God I don't have money because <laughs> and like to gamble because the, I would have picked without the spread really poorly last week. But we always say there's one game that we feel pretty confident on, and that was New England last week. It's easy to say that in hindsight, but whatever. Uh, NFC Championship game, a real – Tough pick for me here. The 49ers right now are a five-point favorite on the road at Atlanta. That's Sunday, 3 o'clock on Fox. I'm going to go with the home team here. Uh, I, I don't know if they win this game, but I expect them to keep it pretty close, especially at home. Five points seems like a lot to give up on the road, so give me Atlanta plus five at home. Yeah, Atlanta's 8-1 and one now in the Georgia Dome. And I guess the case to be made against uh, Atlanta – is the way that Cam Newton hurt them in both games this year. One a yeah, loss yeah. and one a win that they barely won. And can Colin Kaepernick attack them the way that Cam Newton did? But the opposite of that is that, well, Russell Wilson didn't do much with his legs against Atlanta. Right. I think on the other podcast... Uh, the guest says they ran about eight read option plays and didn't gain much off of them. So it'll be interesting to see what game plan the 49ers bring to Atlanta. All I know is it's another road team playing an earlier game, not yep. quite as early. West uh, Coast. But yeah. earlier, twelve o'clock. it's going to be 12 o'clock on their clock. Um, and I don't know. There's something about this Atlanta team. I just... I feel like they're tough out, and if I can get five points on top of that, even if San Fran wins this game on a field goal or by four points, I'm covered. So I'm going to take Atlanta and the points. I I don't know. As as much as I don't want Atlanta there, I feel like maybe that's why they'll be there. 
The AFC game of the week this week, obviously, is the AFC Championship. That's the Ravens at the Patriots. And again, this would be that pick that I would be more sure of. Uh, the Patriots are giving nine points, but they are the home team. They don't lose at home. Baltimore wasn't a hot team going into the playoffs. They needed a lot of breaks to beat Denver, and Denver was kind of my team to to do some damage here and maybe even beat New England. But the Patriots have this game at home. Uh, you, you have to have Flacco's going to have to have another really good game to keep up with Brady, and I just don't see it. I think this game probably plays out pretty similarly to the Houston Baltimore game. Baltimore feels like kind of like the same team, a strong running back, a middle of the road quarterback and Baltimore's defense isn't even as good as Houston's. So I don't see them keeping the Patriots off the board. That game's at six 30 on CBS. Give me the Patriots minus nine. Yeah. I took the Patriots minus 10 last week and I'm going to take the Patriots minus nine again this week. I, I think that the AFC opened wide open for the Patriots last weekend yep, with, with the Ravens win. And I think the Ravens maybe won their Super Bowl last week. Uh, they won the game that no one expected them to win, being down 10 points. They won it in dramatic fashion. And if you really think about it, they wouldn't have won it without one of the most historically bad plays in the history of the league by a safety. Yep. And I don't think I'm overstating that. Um, or to give up drives by the Denver's coach with maybe the best quarterback ever I mean, on the Joe field. Joe Flacco I mean, literally heaved that ball up for it hung up there Miracle, forever, yeah. and it came down in miracle fashion yep. right in a punt returner's arm <laughs> yeah. right i mean the 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 job on the right hand side of the field was make sure the punt returner that is out there cuz they have a bunch of wide receivers out there probably 5 or 4 he scored with 31 seconds left and i i didn't read tmq this today but he loves to say th- i can tell you what it says it says they have to score a touchdown. Denver had to be in a three deep zone, right? Right. His article is going to say they're down by a touchdown. They need to score a touchdown. All you have to do is not let them behind you and the safety let them behind him and, and then totally misplayed the ball. So Baltimore got a lot of breaks. And I just don't think that there's a safety on New England that's going <laughs> to make that same mistake again for them. And I said this last week too, but the Baltimore – Ravens are not the Baltimore Ravens that you're used to. Right. I mean, they gave up 35 points in the game. They're in the bottom third in the league, I believe, in both passing and rush defense, maybe. They're they're a below average defense, I believe, this year. Let me look at their numbers real quick. They are 17th against the pass and 20th against the rush. Yeah, and their defense didn't do... I mean, Ray Lewis is finishing his career like an absolute animal. I mean, what did he have? 17 tackles last week and 13 in the first playoff game i think i i just think like you said i think it stops here i think it stops here too i guess i'm predicting a patriots falcons super bowl i guess yeah i i said earlier i'm hoping for a patriots 49ers super bowl so i guess for my predictions sake the 49ers win by like three um my host choice which actually also qualifies as the worldwide leader is going to be the flyers at the sabers that's nbc at 12 30 sabers have a home opener uh it might be a little sloppy with the shortened preseason, but that's probably good for hockey, a little bit of excitement, maybe more broken plays. Flyers are playing the night before, coming into Buffalo at home in front of a national audience. 19,000 strong, I'm sure. Yep, so give me the Sabres at home. 
I said before we started this segment, we I thought we were going to have one. the same yeah. host choice, and it just felt so easy to pick the Sabres over the Flyers on Sunday. I didn't even think about all the stuff you just said. I just said, you know what? Yeah. I'm going to pick the Sabres over the Flyers fun. on right. Sunday because it's fun. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> so... And to piggyback on that, my bold prediction this week, I'm going to say Vanek starts strong. I'm going to say he gets two goals. He finally has a real center. Uh, hopefully this is Cody Hodgson's breakout year. The Vancouver Canucks fans, largely on message boards, were sad to see him go when he got traded for Zach Cassian, uh, what, a couple of years ago now? or Was it last deadline? Last year. Last year's deadline. Now Hodgson's had... Uh, a real nice season in the AHL, and Vanek has stated publicly he likes playing on a line with him. So give me Thomas Vanek for two goals to start off his season strong. All right, I'm going to go Tom Brady and Matt Ryan over seven and a half touchdown passes this weekend. Wow. I hope that that means I need at least four and four. Seven and basically. a half. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm going to be bold and that's, say that. That's bold. Brady will get four and Ryan will get four. Yeah, I think and Brady's good for four of them. It's the I think the Ryan part's going to be the guy that has to hold up his end. Yeah, so I guess it's the bold prediction segment for a reason. So that's right. I thought about going plus or minus six seven, and a half, seven. Yeah, but uh, I figured no, make him get the eight. It doesn't matter, right? Plus or minus seven or eight. I mean, I guess I take the chance of pushing out. Well, you said seven and a half to get to eight. Right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Really push, right. Right. So I'm taking my push opportunity away. We're very serious about these yes. bets we don't make. <laughs> so uh, Tom Brady and um, Matt Ryan, plus or minus seven that'll and be, a half. I'll take the over. That'll be fun getting looking forward to the Super Bowl show. We can look at some prop bets. Like I wonder, yes. I wonder what the number would actually be on that seven, seven and a half is probably bold. I bet you the number that's high. Yeah, I bet it's you really around five ish, five and a half maybe. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we've uh, talked long enough today, but sure. I think this was a fun show to do, and I think you're going to really enjoy the or hopefully you've already enjoyed the Will Leach interview. You think a lot of people skip right to the pick four, pick four, <laughs> and then work their way back? Or I sure hate this segment. <laughs> I'm terrible at it. All right. Uh, we will be back uh, next week, hopefully with something really different. All right. <laughs>